0: Lord, in other parts of the world, God, we also pray for the churches in Algeria, Lord, and Pastor Salah, Lord, and we ask that you would be with them, protect them, that you would help them, God, through these hard times, Lord, where persecution is falling upon them in a worse way. God, as they face hardship, as they face, Lord, suffering, God, may you increase your your strength in them, give them courage, boldness, Lord. May your spirit anoint them in the words that they say and that it would not stop the word of God because nothing can stop your word, Lord. And that may your gospel go forth and save more souls, Lord. And no matter what the enemy may try and do, Lord, that we know that Greater is you who is in us than he is that is in the world, God. And so we pray that, Lord, and we pray your word, and we pray over them and lift them up to you, God, on this day in this International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. So, God, hear our hearts, Lord, as we cry out to you for our fellow believers around the world. And, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would also bless your word today, God, Speak not just to our minds, but to our hearts. Go deep, Lord. Move strongly, Lord. Let us not just read the Bible for information, but let us read and study for transformation. Lord, anoint us now with the oil of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Hey, if you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and we're going to continue our study through the book of Hebrews. We're coming into the last chapter here of this book, and I'm excited to enter into this chapter as we finished up chapter 12 last week. So Hebrews chapter 13. Now, I read about a man named Dennis from Katy, Texas. He needed some same-day dry cleaning before he left on a trip. He remembered a store with a huge sign on it that said, One Hour Day Cleaners. And it was on the other side of town, so he drove there to drop off his suit. Well, after filling out the tag, he told the clerk, Thank God you guys are here. I really need this in an hour so I can make my flight. Well, the lady at the counter said, I'm sorry, but I can't get this back to you until next Thursday. I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour, Denny said. No, she said, that's just the name of the store. How funny. I mean, what would you think? I would think that they would have changed the name of the store. I think it's like false advertising to me. But let me tell you, sometimes Christians fail to act like the one whose name we bear, and that can create confusion too. Well, as we continue in our study in the book of Hebrews, the writer moves on to some practical application of what the Jewish believers should do in living out their faith in Jesus. And this is where belief affects behavior and that's the title of our message this morning where belief affects behavior we're going to be studying hebrews chapter 13 from verse 1 through 6 this morning just the first section there in chapter 13 and so what belief affects behavior well the areas are this and this is our outline this is what we're going to see number one the compassion for others. Number two, the commitment to marriage. And number three, the contentment in life. And I'll give those to you as we go along. But let's begin here. Where belief affects behavior. The first area, number one in our outline is this. The compassion for others. The compassion for others. Hebrews 13, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through three in this section. So take a look here, Hebrews 13 verse 1 first of all. First one it says, "Let brotherly love continue." We'll stop there. Now, we begin with looking at two words here in this verse, brotherly love, which in the Greek is actually one word. And the one word is philadelphia. You guys may be familiar with that. There's a city called Philadelphia in the U.S. Well, Philadelphia means a friendship kind of love, a family kind of connection. Now, remember in the Greek, we've learned that eros is the physical, emotional kind of love. And we know that agape, right? We've talked about that many times, and that's unconditional love. But the Greek actually has another word, several words, really more than three. But this third word that we see many times in the Bible is philadelphia. And here it's translated brotherly love. Now, philadelphia is used to emphasize this love that connects us together as a family of God. And that's the thought here. This is the love that should continue, a family love. The word continue, which actually means dwell or remain. That's what should remain between amongst us as Christians. So the idea is this, just here right away in the first verse, let the love we have as spiritual brothers and sisters remain strong in the church. Let this this family love remain in our church. Now this is important because remember we've learned it That the Jewish believers, the readers of this epistle, they have been struggling, right? Under pressure and persecution from their fellow Jews. Remember? Remember, they are being told to leave Jesus, go back to the old Jewish ways and rituals. And it's been hard. It's been painful with even their own family members coming down upon them. So the writer encourages them to find, you know what, love acceptance in their new family. And you know where that is? It's in the family of God. Because Jesus is in their lives, they now have a, they have now have new spiritual brothers and sisters in the Lord. Believers now belong to a new family, the family of God. So, In the pure sense now, the first point I want to make here in our section is this. Believers must love each other like a family does. Believers must love each other like a family does. You know, I was talking with someone in our recent trip to Okinawa. And how, you know, as parents... No matter how old your adult child is, they will always be your little boy or your little girl, right? You parents who have adult children understand that. No matter what age they do, they are, they're like always that little one, you know. They're always your son or your daughter. And no matter even what they do, they'll always be your son and daughter, right? Because you're connected. You're connected by blood and you have that connection, And that even goes with when we go through tough times. I mean, I try and tell my children that, hey, you know, we're going through some hard times or some things have happened. But, you know, we're going to get through this together because we have that connection. Even the failures, whether my own or not, you know, that's not going to change this connection and our relationship that we have. And we belong to each other. Why? Because we're family, either by marriage or blood. But we have that bond, this connection. So no matter what, we are family. I tell my kids, even even if there's hurt or there's some things that go on between us, we're still family, and that helps us keep going. Well, that's the idea here. That's the point here. Now as believers, we are connected, not by blood, but we are spiritually connected by this new life in Jesus and the Holy Spirit who unites us. Ephesians talks about this. We are now children of God, and that makes us one Ohana in Jesus. And this is that family love. This is the Philadelphia that the writer is talking about here that we Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, should have in the church. And this is the compassion for others, that's our heading, that we need to have. Now, it's not always easy to do that, Right? Well, it's like what is described in this poem. It's been said, To dwell above with saints we love, that indeed will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. It's hard. It's hard. Misunderstandings, hurt, maybe disappointment. Things happen. But you know what? As a family does, so must the church. We're connected now. We have, we're have. we in one one body now. We're, we're in one family now. And so we have this spiritual connection that we got to hang on. We got to be strong in our love for one another. And so in the pure sense, believers must love each other like a family does. Now, I was thinking perhaps you did not grow up in a family that maybe held to biblical principles or, 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 or so when things happen in the church, well, you react in the same way that you've grown up with. And that's more a fleshly reaction and not the spirit. Well, the spirit wants us to respond differently in the church. The Spirit wants us to respond biblically, and that means to be respectful, to forgive, to give grace, to love, to have compassion, because we are family now. Think about it in this way. We have a deeper bond with one another, a deeper connection, so we must be willing to love farther, try harder, and go on knowing that You know what? We're going to spend eternity together, so might as well work it out right now, right? That's what believers do, and this is what the writer is saying. It's giving Philadelphia. It's where belief affects our behavior. All right, next, Hebrews 13, verse 2 goes on, and the writer says this. Look at verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So the writer goes on with this thought of how believers are to have compassion, right? Compassion in this family love to one another. Well, now the writer reminds us to entertain. The word entertain there means to show hospitality. And has hospitality to what? Strangers. He's saying, be ready to take care of those people you really don't know. For this reason, some have unwillingly, without realizing it, have given hospitality to angels, God's angels. So the idea here is, be kind and hospitable. For you never know if you are actually helping out an angel. You know, when I help my wife out, I'm always helping out an angel, right? Right? Oh, she's not even here. Oh, I'll take that back. No. <laughs> she's helping out in Keiki Church right now, but, but, but anyway. Back in, understand this, back in ancient times, there were no, like, five-star hotels, you know. There's no, like, well, you know, where can we make reservation? Oh, I don't know about you, whenever I make reservation, I click on the four, four four-star and up, you know, kind of search filter. So, hey, I'm going to stay at a nicer place because I've tried the other ones, and you know what, it's not that great. Well, back then, it wasn't like that. There, was, there were inns back then, but they were usually very worldly. Uh, there are places, many of them, of prostitution. So, you know, when you traveled, it was hard for a Christian to find a, a good place to stay. Well, the writer is saying, hey, be kind and open up your place for other believers to stay, even those you don't even know. I mean, especially for these Jewish Christians who are being ostracized by their fellow Jews, yeah? They're being cut off. So, hey, open them up, you know, open up your place for them. I think about, it's like what Abraham did. You remember in Genesis 18, when he, when those men came by, they're on their way, you know, bring judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah, but they came by his place, and, and Abraham right away, right, opened up his place, gave them food, cooked food, right, gave them water, and they turned out to be what God's angels that were passing through. So you never know, but you could be helping out and giving hospitality to angels. So the writer's like, hey, have compassion for others. Give hospitality in that way. Which brings us to our second point in this section. Believers are to give hospitality to strangers. Believers are to give hospitality to strangers. Now, I've read many accounts of Christians, you know, taking, someone, taking in someone in need, you know, feeding them, letting them stay the night, and then, you know, they turn around suddenly, they're gone without a strace. And, you know, it could be that person really was an angel that God sent to maybe test them. But I like this story I came across. A young boy was walking in a park one day when he saw an elderly gentleman sitting on a bench. Overcome by this desire just to sit and t- sit with him, the boy sat down, proceeded to talk story and eventually share his, his little snack of Twinkies with him. They spent a few hours together and then it was getting dark, so the boy went home to his mother. Well, when the boy got home, he shouted, Mom, Mom, you'll never guess who I saw in the park today. I shared my Twinkies with an angel. He had White hair, soft loving eyes, and he was so nice to me. Well, at the same time, an older man went home to his wife and came home excited too. And he said, Honey, you'll never guess who I saw in the park today. I sat down with an angel. He looked like a little boy and he was so kind to share a snack with me. Although it was Twinkies. Oh, well, I guess angels like Twinkies or something. (laughs) So... I love that. And I think that really brings us to this point that believers are to give hospitality to strangers and, you know, treat them kindly as if they were angels sent from God because you never know. You never know. If you knew that God sent an angel, you'd be really nice, right? But God is saying, hey, treat them like angels because you never know. Well, that's how we are to treat others anyway, isn't it? Especially those who are in our spiritual family. I mean, you never know, too, for they could be very well beings from our heavenly home. They could be angels. And that's what believers do in hospitality. And that's where belief affects behavior. And then next now, look at verse 3. Hebrews 12, verse 3. Then the writer puts this in here. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you, since you yourselves are in the body also." Well, here the writer says, have compassion out on those who are prisoners. Those who? Those who are mistreated. And why are they mistreated? Well, because of their faith in Jesus. You remember, I mentioned this earlier in our study, that many Christians were at this time being imprisoned for believing in Jesus. Right at this time, a lot of persecutions were falling upon Christians in Rome from Caesar because of their belief so the writer is saying hey have sympathy have compassion as if you were chained with them as if you were there too and then this last part of verse 3 says where where it says since you s- yourselves are in a body i think it's better translated feel what they feel as if you were suffering there in body too so the idea the thought here is this be sensitive to what, others believe, what other believers are going through in their persecution. You know, this makes me think about what Paul wrote in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We are to have sympathy. We are, we are to feel what they feel as our fellow believers in Christ. And this is showing compassion for others. So our third point in this section is this. Believers are to be sympathetic towards suffering, those suffering persecution. Believers are to be sympathetic towards those suffering persecution. You know, as today is that International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, I've been reading a little bit, and you know, at the beginning of this year, a nonprofit in England called Release International reported a, I quote, worrying upward trend of persecution, and called for the uh, United Kingdom ambassadors and authorities to do something about it. That, and, and that's what all these organizations are seeing in in this year. Uh, as I shared those videos from Open Doors, and there's some from Voice of the Martyrs. There's several sites out there uh, that are there supporting persecuted Christians, but they all are talking about there has been an uptick of persecution going on with Christians this year more than ever before. And maybe you caught this too in his address to the United Nations, President Trump in an unprecedented speech called on nations of the world to end religious persecution. And that was amazing to see a president of the United States say that uh, just a few months ago. Well, there's more and more persecution of Christians as the world, I believe, gets darker and darker in these last days. As we're heading into the end times, as Satan is beginning to set up his world for the Antichrist to rise up. And I was just talking with someone this morning how, you know, during that last year just... Uh, seven years of tribulation, it's going to be where Satan's day, he's going to put up his man, a world leader, the Antichrist, and there's going to be a lot of evil going on. Well, as we're heading that way, you can see it now. You can see it in our society. You can see it in our community. You can see what's going on, division in our government. You can see it in our world. And you can see the persecution getting worse and worse every day here in our world right now. You know, just this last October, 35 Christians were handing out Bibles in Chattanooga, India. And then they were harassed by some radical Hindu nationalists. And then they had the police come, take them into custody, and told them they were not allowed to distribute their literature, which is crazy and so wrong because it was the police who had given them prior permission. On September 23rd, Iranian church pastor Matthias uh, Haganedjad and eight other, I think they are pastors, were sentenced to five years in prison for their faith. Recently in Nigeria, Pastor Elisha Noma was freed after being tortured for 17 days. His left hand was broken, he's left with scars from burns to his head and his face, and during his incarceration, his captors. Uh, switch on their phone, uh, called the family so that they could hear him cry in pain as they beat, cut, and burned him to compel them to pay ransom for his release. This year, house churches in China are being hunted down. I mean, you'll catch some articles here and there on the news, and, and they're being hunted down by the communist government trying to stop these house churches. And even recently, I just read an article on a government pretty large government church there's some government registered churches where the government controls what they say that a building has even been torn down and in north korea christians are actually considered hostile to the state so they right now are encouraging people to turn them in for the government says i quote they must be eradicated so you see how important it is to be praying for these Christians, for these persecuted brothers and sisters in the Lord, to remember them, to, to, to feel what they're feeling right now and feel that and cry out to the Lord in prayer. And you know what? God is answering our prayers because despite the persecution, did you know there's an underground church, I was reading about this, in North Korea, and it's said to be 300,000 members strong. Praise the Lord for that. Just like in China, you know, when persecution first happened, when the whole turnover of the government with the communists coming into power, they, they tried to smash the church, the Christian church, but the, the house churches, the underground church, grew to millions. There is also a recent reports, and my wife and I were actually watching a video last night, that even in Iran... Jesus is revealing himself in visions and dreams. And and, and there's Iranians coming to the Lord and they're witnessing and discipling Jesus Christ. And this video said that in Iran, it holds the the fastest growing church in the world. So our prayers is important, and our prayers are making an effect in the world. So keep praying. So you see, we must have compassion on our brothers and sisters in the Lord around the world that are suffering because of their faith in Jesus. I mean, think about it. They're they're part of our spiritual ohana. So I call out to you guys today, being that this is that International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, you know what, take time to pray at home today. This month, put it on your prayer list, you know. Um, maybe pray during your time of prayer or before dinner. Today, after church, take some si- time to pray. I mean, even, you know what, today, after you grab your food or you're at your table and you're talking story and are having some fellowship, you know, with your little group, hey, grab hands and just pray. Pray for the persecuted Christians. Show your faith. Show what you believe. Let us have the compassion for others, for that's what believers do. That's where belief affects behavior. Well, let's go on to number two here, the commitment to m- marriage. Our, our second heading here in our outline, the commitment to marriage. We've seen the compassion for others. Well, as the writer goes on, we see the commitment to marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 here. It reads, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. All right. Now the writer continues with how the believer honors God by saying this. He writes, marriage is honorable. The word honorable means like esteem, respect him. Marriage is to be held in high regard. You know why? Because God made it. God instituted it. He created it. And it says here, God desires the marriage bed to be undefiled. In other words, to stay sexually pure. Be faithful, in other words, to your spouse and honor God in your marriage. So the thought here, first of all, is that honor what God created in marriage by being sexually faithful to your spouse. That's the idea. That's the thought here. Warren Rearsby wrote, A Christian home begins with a Christian marriage in the will of God. This means loyalty and purity. Understand, back then, You know, in the ancient times when this letter was written, it was very common for men to have their wives or legitimate children. And then they would have women on the side. They would have affairs, other women on the side. I mean, that was a carryover, really, in the Roman times from the Greek culture. It was prevalent in that uh, society back then, and it was all accepted. Remember, even Jesus rebuked some of the Pharisees for divorcing their wives for any reason— for any excuse, just because they wanted to chase after other women. That leaked into the Jewish culture, even with these Pharisees, also. So, in others, this culture, um, there, there really was no honor being given to marriage. But becoming a believer changed how one sees. Marriage, And this is his thought. This is what the writer is saying to these Jewish believers. Because God created and instituted marriage. The believer was committed to the purity in marriage. And this is the commitment to marriage that's our heading. That's why, now the writer goes on in verse 4. Look, it says, But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. It's those who willfully sin against what God intended in marriage. God saying, the writer's saying, hey, God's going to judge that, you know, because it goes against what the Lord had instituted. It goes against what, what, what God really wants. They, these are what he calls fornicators. There are those who engage in sex before getting married. We call it today premarital sex. And we know what adulterers are, right? A married person having sex with someone who is not their spouse. So these scenarios go against what God has created marriage to be. It does not honor God. It defiles the marriage bed. Sex within marriage is okay. Sex outside of marriage is not okay, simply put. So the idea here is God is going to bring judgment upon what the world says is okay, for it is not okay with god listen to something uh, john MacArthur quoted in his commentary he quoted this from a leading pornographic magazine they wrote sex is a function of the body a drive which man shares with animals like eating drinking sleeping it's a physical demand that must be satisfied sex is here to stay let's forget the prudery that makes us hide from it Throw away those inhibitions. Find a girl who's like-minded and let yourself go. It's so shameful what's written here. It's, It's even embarrassing for me to quote here in a Bible study. But I want you to see this is our world, isn't it? I mean, just look how it's common to see sex as part of dating, right? Or the thought is, well, you should try sex first to see if you're compatible before you get married. Or just look how You know, it's accepted. Oh, we can live together and, you know, have sex and freely do that. We don't need to get married. Our society has moved far from what God has intended. And it's reflected in our movies. It's reflected in our TV shows. And they only promote and influence even more of this type of thinking. So you can see why God will bring judgment upon the world. But believers are to do the opposite, to hold to the commitment to marriage. Which brings us to this point here. Believers hold to different standards than the world in their marriage. Believers hold to different standards than the world in their marriage. When Mr. and Mrs. Henry Ford celebrated their golden wedding anniversary, a reporter asked them, "To what do you attribute your fifty years of successful married life?" The formula, said Mr. Ford, is the same formula I have always used in making cars—just stick to one model. <laughs> As I mentioned, understand, you guys, we are living in dark days, and <clears throat> the darkness is beginning to influence even. Christians, right? In our society, no longer is biblical principles and moral values important, right? I mean, years ago, I mean, I mean think about, you know, there was still some biblical principles back what, in the 50s or so, right? You see it in the TV shows and all that. But today, oh, we moved so far away. And no longer is God the center of most people's lives. Now it's like, oh, do what you feel like, you know? Do what, what you think is right. What do you feel? What's your opinion? Well, well, if you feel it's okay, then do that. And then suddenly your opinion, your feelings, what you think goes above what the Word of God says. And let me tell you, I was thinking about this the other day. It has become the perfect scenario, the perfect place, the perfect combination of this thought for Satan to bring in his lies and corrupt what God has made honorable. And that's marriage, the marriage bed. Listen, that we as a society has played into Satan's hands when we drift from what God made marriage to be. And think about this. The consequences are really bad, right? Not only the heartbreak, The unexpected pregnancies, the rapes, the venereal disease, broken families, divorces. The consequences have been very, very bad. No wonder Billy Graham said the writings of the world today are like the drippings of a broken sewer. Listen, within marriage, sex is beautiful, sex is fulfilling. But outside of marriage, sex is ugly, sex is destructive. Have you been caught up and been played by the devil? Repent before God today. He's calling you. He loves you. He wants to restore you to himself. He wants to free you. He, he, he wants you to come to the cross. Come to Jesus right now. Ask for forgiveness. And you know what? He'll forgive you. Ask him to free you, and he will free you. Ask God to heal, heal you, and he will heal you. Just come to Jesus right now, today. Today don't wait even right now you guys as you're sitting here in your seat in the quietness of your heart call out to him in the middle of this message cuz Jesus loves you and wants you to be right with him all right let's go to number 3 now the contentment in life the contentment in life our belief of behavior we see in these areas number one the compassion for others number two the commitment to marriage and now number three the commitment in life and here is the rest of our verses hebrews 13 verses 5 through 6 hebrews 13 verse 5 it says this let your conduct be without covetousness be content with such things as you have for he himself has said i will never leave you nor forsake you i love these verses we're going to cover here all right, another way that believers live differently concerns our attitude really toward material riches. The writer says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your life, let how you live your life, your conduct, be without covetousness. Covetousness is really, the, the original word means love for money. It's, it's the idea of this love for material possessions and riches, and, and that's your focus. Covetousness speaks of that wanting, that, that desire that's, that is never satisfied, that you're continuing to want more and more and more. So the idea and the thought is that our life should not be all about getting more material riches. The millionaire Bernard Barak was once asked, how much money does it take for a rich man to be satisfied? You know what his answer was? Just a million more than he has. Right? It speaks of how our covetous nature, our flesh, wants more and more and more. We're never satisfied. When our focus is on money, when our focus is on on material riches and wealth and all, our human nature, what? It wants more. It's never satisfied. It wants more and more and more. Now take note. It's not so much money itself that is bad because... Money can be used for good, right? Supporting churches and mi- missionaries and, and people around the world, right? But it's the love of that, that that becomes your focus, that that becomes your love. That's what is so wrong, First Timothy 6.10. But what believers should be is in this next part of verse 5. Look at verse 5. Be content with such things as you have. The idea is be satisfied with what you've been blessed with already. Learn to be content in what the Lord has given you already. Be satisfied with that. Take a moment, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> turn over to the left to Philippians chapter 4. And I want you to see two verses here, verses 11 and 12 in Philippians chapter 4. Those of you on digital tablets and phones, click over. (laughs) Philippians 4, 11 and 12. Philippians 4, verse 11 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, To be what? Content. Then verse 12, I know how to be a base and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So Paul's talking here, the writer of Philippians. He's saying, look, you know, <clears throat> thank you for your offerings. And thank you, guys, continue to help us out. But, but let me say this. You know, I've learned whatever state, whether in need or, or, or in want or whether or not, whether I have a lot or whether I don't hardly have anything, I've learned to be content. So if the Apostle Paul could say this, then you know what? You and I could do the same. We can learn to be content with what we have. So the writer is saying, look, be satisfied with what the Lord has given you. You know, if you're starting to yearn for more and more than what you really need, then hey, check your heart. Check your heart. What's going on? Is this a want? Or a need, right? We know the difference, right? Is it what what God has given you? Or is it what covetous wants? Yeah? Kind of start recognizing that. So how can we find that contentment? What can really help? Well, back to Hebrews. Hebrews (coughs) chapter 13. And look at verse 5. It says here at the end, For he himself has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I love this. After the writer's talking about, hey, you know, be content, be satisfied. Don't go focusing on riches and always wanting more material things. And then he says, he attaches this to it. We know this verse. He says, hey, God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. What is he saying? He's saying God will never leave you empty-handed. God will never leave you with an empty wallet or empty pockets there. What a great promise to underline here, connected with God's care and provision for you. God is saying, hey, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So our confidence in God is so much so that the writer says, and look at verse 6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now the writer here quotes Psalm 118, verse 6. And he's saying like, hey, if God is there for you, if God is is your help, if if you have God with you, then you have it all. You need not fear for any lack. You need not worry of what anyone, any circumstance, what anything, anything can do to you. The idea is this, no event in life, nothing that anyone may take from you can stop God from providing for you. Amen? Amen. Know that. So we know this verse, oh, God said, you know, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. Now attach it to His provision for you. Now attach it to His care for you. Now attach it from giving you a place to stay, food to eat, right? Clothes to wear. Providing for your every need to to live life here on earth. Attach that to that. Think about this now. Remember the writer's writing to his fellow Jewish believers, right? That's why the title, Hebrews. And these Jewish believers are facing that persecution perhaps they're, they're facing being excommunicated right, from the fellowship because they believe in Jesus. And, and that could threaten even their income where people won't maybe you know, go to them for their trade and for business. And, but the writer saying, hey, no worries. God will take care of you no matter what. No matter what man can do to you, God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Other Jews could mistreat them, take their possessions, throw them in prison, leaving them with nothing. But that cannot stop God from taking care of every need. And you know what? We can trust God because He knows what we need, right? We are safe with God. Understand that. We are safe with God. Now, I understand money you know, having your bank account, it could give you some security. But, you know, the money in your wallet, right? It's temporary, right? It seems to, like, sometimes go faster than it comes in, right? Or sometimes, whoo, thank you, Lord, this month I get some leftovers here, you know, and you save them for next month. Or, hey, I can actually buy a Starbucks coffee today, you know, or something, to treat myself. But it'll give some security. But I understand your money, material riches, your possession, they cannot give security that God gives. God is for us, not against us. He knows what we need. He knows what we don't need. He has plans that produce and provides appropriately. He's working all these things out. So put this in your mind. Know this. And I believe the writer's just putting this into the minds of the Hebrews here. Know this. God knows all things, right? We believe he's omniscient. It's one of his attributes. He knows all things, right? He knows everything about you, about what you need, what, 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 what you need in your future, even bills and things that you don't foresee. He knows all things. And secondly, God is good, right? God is good. So, number three, God will be there for you. So since he knows your needs, since he's good, he will be there for you and provide for all your needs. So in the end, be content with what God has given you today. Right? Does that... Does that logically flow in your mind, right? If he knows your need and he provides for your need and he's giving you for your need, right? And you're okay right now. Then be content with what he has given you for today. And this is the contentment in life. This is how we put our confidence in God and trust him. Trust him that he will take care of you and you will be content in life, satisfied. You know about this text that we're reading here It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. C.H. Spurgeon, an old preacher in the 1800s in England, he said that the original Greek here, in original wording, original language, there's actually five negatives here. And this is what Spurgeon wrote. Here the negatives have a five-fold force. It is as, as though it said, and Spurgeon like translates it in his own words, it is as though it said, I will not, not leave thee. I will never, no, never forsake thee. That's the emphasis. That's what's being said here in the original language. So our last point here for this morning is this. Believers seek not material riches, but find contentment with God's guaranteed provision. Say that again. Believers seek not material riches, but find contentment with God's guaranteed provision. You know, I came across this article, it was back in 2006, and I read about this group of environmental activists who went An entire year, one year, without purchasing anything new. They called it a shopping sabbatical. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. In January 2006, 10 friends declared a sabbatical from American consumerism. Uh, The compact, that's what they called their agreement, bound them in a mutual pledge to abstain from shopping sprees other than like food or essential toiletries, underwear, and items for health and safety, the friends purchased virtually nothing new. How do you like that? A shopping sabbatical. They learned much about themselves in the process, this article said. After going through a time of quote-unquote retail withdrawal, <laughs> they were amazed at how the items they needed just quote-unquote showed up. Rachel Kessel 26 says, I found a lot of times there were things I thought I needed that I didn't need that much. Rediscovering the library, they said, paying down the credit cards were two unexpected dividends. John Perry 42 says, one of the byproducts of the compact this agreement is having a different relationship with things. He said this, I appreciate the stuff I have more. And then he says he has developed a knack for fixing things rather than replacing them with new. And the article said the group enjoyed the freedom of the compact so much more that they chose to renew their pledges the next year. I wonder how long it lasted. But Interesting, right? Hey, perhaps you need to go on a shopping sabbatical. Perhaps. Think about it. But either way, I think we all need to rethink our buying habits, yeah? Be better stewards of of the monies, of the things that God has given us. And I think that's the key, you guys. We are stewards of what he's given us. It's not our own, right? It's really God's money. He's given it to us for, for us to do his will with. It's not our own money. I believe that's the key to remember that it's not our own money, but he's given it to us for us to do his will with. And that's where it starts, by asking God, God, hey, what do you want me to do with the money that you've provided? What do you want me to do with the goods you've provided me? What do you you want me to do with this car, this house? What do you like me to do? God, everything you've given me is really yours. And I think that approach keeps us from being selfish, greedy, only focusing on our own, and then all of a sudden, Getting into that, oh, I want more, I want more, and we become that monster. The main thing, really, right, that as believers, our contentment in life is not these things, but the Lord Jesus, right? But Jesus, that's the main thing. And I'll tell you, if we have the Lord, we have everything we need. And that is how Christians are to live differently from the world. As we come to a close, a Hiron W. Smith once wrote this: "Your behavior is a reflection of what you truly believe." And that's exactly what we're talking about in these areas. And the compassion for others, the commitment to marriage, the contentment in life all in I. All in all, you and I, we need to examine our own lives, our own heart, what's, what we allow go through our minds. We need to examine. We need to ask questions like, is, is, is life about me or others? Is my life about satisfying my own desires or satisfying God's will? Is my life about laying up treasures in heaven or treasures on earth? We need to be serious for we could be, you know what, the very ones that mask God's light by our bad testimony, by living like the world, even though we're saying we are Christians. I mean, are you an obstacle or a road to God's love and salvation? Close with this story. A man was touring in China on a bus when the bus in front of him hit a patch of ice, skidded off the road, and tipped over on its side into this rice field. The man quickly jumped off his bus, ran to the overturned bus, and jumped on top. Windows were shattered, and people were inside, were obviously hurt. The emergency door was facing upward, so he grabbed the handle of the emergency door and pulled up but the door would not open. He kept pulling hard, but it wouldn't budge. By this time, others were pulling people out through the window, so he gave up on the door and joined them pulling people out of the windows. Well, after moving away from that emergency door, another man went to the same door. He turned the handle, and the door opened. The man wrote this, I suddenly realized why the door had not opened for me. I was standing on it as I tried to open it with good intentions to save lives, I had become the biggest obstacle to rescue. And then the man wrote this. Likewise, those who want to lead others to Christ can become the biggest obstacle to their salvation. So are you standing on the door? Are you an obstacle by the way you live your life? See, this passage is is a very, very important word for all of us today. So... Let you and I realize how important it is to live out our faith in these areas where belief affects behavior. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you, we thank you for your word, God, because, Lord, we need to hear this. And God, because you love us, Lord, and because you care for us, God, you don't pull no punches, Lord. You get serious with us because Lord, you don't want us to be in bondage. You don't want us to live in the flesh. You don't want us to miss what it is living in the spirit and what that it's about. And so in all of these areas, Lord, you are speaking to all of us, God. And I pray that we would change today, God, that we would repent of our sins and we would be obedient to you. And so, God, as we come before you, and especially as we move into this time of, of communion, Lord, the Lord's Supper, Lord, the Lord's Table, God, we want to come in humbleness. We want to come and being real with you and confessing our sins, Lord, and not turning away from what we heard, but, Lord, responding to the conviction of your Holy Spirit this morning. And, Lord, we want to go on living in your will, living, living in what you desire for us, living in how you're transforming us through the Word of God. And we know it's through our obedience we will see this new creation that you made within us, become the person you want us to be. So help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, at this time, we're going to move into uh, communion as we do the first Sunday of every.